thank yous. Uh, thank you to the Center for Ethics at the University of Toronto, as Christopher said, my alma mater. I'm so thrilled to be here with you all, even in the context of weird virtual world. And a special thanks to Bazuki and Christopher for approaching me to participate in this Emerging Scholar Speaker Series. I certainly look forward to your questions and comments and a generative conversation at the end of my talk. Uh, thank you to the Center for Ethics. So today's talk is a part of my broader research and current book project entitled Poetics of Bafflement, Aesthetics of Frustration, which investigates how art objects created by Black women and queer artists disrupt protocols of social incorporation. Within the context of that project, I look towards the work of three African-American artists and three Black South African art artists to think um, through modalities of bafflement or the way in which art objects and their circulation can befuddle how we actually approach the work. And so it's through an engagement with the surface, dissemblance, and futurity that I think about alternative modes or pathways of perception, encounter, and relation with these works, and a more expansive articulation of, of belonging. In that way, the project looks towards the following core questions. How does cultural taste and value in the era of multiculturalism shape national identities of the United States and South Africa and reveal implicit values about who matters, who produces legitimate art and ways of doing resistance? And so for the, for the, for, for the purpose of today's talk, I wanna focus on thinking contrapuntally between the work of African-American artist Micheline Thomas and South African artist Zanelli Maholi's work around some common concerns, namely surface, abstraction, and skin. But I wanna take a second and, and sort of position um, myself within the context of this work. Um, part of this project engages deeply with the thinking of Edouard Glissant, Caribbean scholar Edouard Glissant, and his poetics of relation, as well as notions of the right to opacity or obfuscation, in, in particular as a barometer for thinking intentionally, and dare I say ethically, between two geopolitical spaces that both have overlapping racial segregationist histories, and deeply different regionally specific concerns. And so for me, Glissant's relation and poetics both note the stakes of a relational approach to these um, geopolitical spaces, as well as the necessary use of the creative or the poetic, and in this context, the visual, as a site for such an ethic, ethics of looking and thinking and seeing. Secondly, as a producer of art things myself, I'm struck by the material of making the literal materials that artists engage with and deploy as strategies of thinking. I was recently invited to participate in an exhibition entitled States of Being, which really looked towards the state of time, towards the state of water to air, et cetera, as a strategy with which to negotiate where one encounters things we do not always know, cannot always classify, and are situated often in ambiguity. And so this piece of work that you see on the screen entitled Flag to the Abyss, which is a, a conversation with Glissant, for me was 
an opportunity for me to struggle with thinking about material and matter and black matter towards mattering and meaning. So I wanna now turn to another opening and one that took place in 2012 in which Micheline Thomas curated an exhibition entitled Tet a Tet, translated as an intimate conversation at Yancey Richardson Gallery where Thomas invited a number of African and African-American photographers to contribute work around the themes of viewership, the gaze, and the Black body. Uh, Zanelli Maholi was among the photographers included in that work. And what you see on the slide are some examples of the work in the show. On the left-hand side were a series of Polaroids that Thomas uh, has produced, often a process of documentation and artifact making that goes in tandem with the larger scale collage paintings that Thomas is often known for. And on the right-hand side, works included in that show were works from Maholi's ongoing project, Faces and Phases, which explores um, the archive and speaks into the omission of LGBT populations within the context of South Africa and its diasporas. And this work on the right-hand side entitled Tinky number two. And so I use this as a mechanism to conjoin an intimate kind of conversation with Thomas and Maholi, which I think opens up thinking about queerness and feminist and blackness and contemporary art practice in transnational and global contexts. Further, it reflects the stakes of an ethics of art and aesthetics now. In this context, I in particular want to engage their work from a slightly off kilter vantage point, one that is oriented towards the surface. And so what might the topographical dimension of these objects, whether they're photographs or collage paintings, reveal about material, materiality, and mattering? So I work with genealogies of surfacism um, with the surface itself within art history, art, et cetera. And in particular, I'm thinking through Giles Deleuze's theory of the fold alongside Hortense Spiller's work on the body flesh paradigm with which to arrive in an exploration of what I call surface play. Deleuze theorizes the fold as a strategy to talk about a relationship between the self and the, the self with itself and the self in the social world, the self in relation to the outside world. And so a fold is nothing but the exterior of matter folded onto itself to create an interior. Yet it is Horton Spiller's formative break between body and flesh that brings to light the impact of race and gender on a discussion of the fold and its relationship to surface and depth. Spiller's differentiation of the body and flesh thinks interiority and exteriority through an orientation to the afterlife of slavery and I would, I would argue colonialism more broadly. The body is the hypothesis of a liberated subject position, the flesh its total objectification, a violent reduction of the body to a thing absent of a subject position. Yet Spillers makes explicit how the body and flesh function in tandem with each other. Quote, the zero degree of social conception is never fully alienated in the process of transformation from the body. 
and that this is where the skin becomes a threshold of remembrance. And so conjoining an engagement with Spillers in relation to Deleuze's fold, for me, tussles these dichotomies between body, flesh, and skin. And for me, reframes um, a recasting of fold theory that can bear race and gender. It also becomes a way in which, for me, to, to theorize surface play. And so surface play works as an orientation to the topography, to the topography of the canvas or the object of the photograph and its interface with authorial and spectorial perception. This allows us to conceive of interiority as nuanced, contingent and contradictory, marking the porousness of black interiorities as infinite series of folds in meaning, materiality and matter. While more broadly annotating some of the ways in which surfacism shows up within art history and visual culture. And so on what follows, I turn to the topography of the canvas and the photograph for how these objects and what we do with them might function towards an aesthetic of dissemblance. I am quite literally thinking through the ways Micheline Thomas's surfaces work through collage, artifice and abstraction to discombobulate. And in the context of Maholi's work, it is the use of saturation, hyperpigmentation and tonal range that troubles the surface. Now I want to start with um, thinking through these, these ideas of surface play within the context of Thomas's work and Maholi's work, and then I'll kind of circle back to why I see some connections between the two. Um, so this is probably a work people are have some familiarity with, um, uh, La Trois Femme Noir, if I hope I said that right. Um, but one of the, the kind of key processes that I that I think are noticeable in Thomas's painting making process is that it's it's mixed material. At, at one hand, we see on the left hand side the use of the photograph. On the right hand side, we see collaged elements of the photograph that then become these larger um, collage painting structures um, that often function as installation. And even in the more contemporary work by um, Thomas where um, film screens are staged to kind of create this kaleidoscope of encounter. We see some of the, the ways in which what I would imagine is surface play as a verb creates and activates shifting modes of perception. Um, in the context of this chapter that this talk is based on, I spend a lot of time talking about Thomas's more figural work where bodies are actually present. I also talk a little bit about, of, about the interiors that she's produced as well as a series of work that she produced in relation to her mother, Sandra Bush's passing um, in 2012. But I actually wanna focus on a lesser known body of work um, that Thomas has produced in 2014 entitled Tech the Femme as a way to sort of unpack this relationship between collage abstraction and the sort of amalgamation of materials. So in an interview for Flat Magazine in 2014, Thomas remarks, quote, it collage allows me to juxtapose the image with various resources that I collect. It allows me to respond to the world today. Our world is a mix of collaged images and information that we constantly have to sift through. Our world is constantly being covered or layered by some new form of idea, ideology, or culture. I'm interested in a form of amalgam amalgamation, an overload of information, 
What does one do with that? How do you make sense of that? How do you ground yourself with all of these things that are going on? Can you create something new with all of that information? Echoing strategies of camouflage by feminist and black cultural producers, Thomas recognizes the amalgamation of materials on the surface of her collage paintings as an extension of the intermixing of experience, tradition, and ideologies that inform modern cultural formation. One example of that is the superimposing worlds that staged by Corbin or Monet, which that previous slide is actually referencing a Monet painting, um, and scripting Black femmes into these histories. Thomas ripples a codification of the visual field. And so we might think of Thomas's modes of composition and collage as an embodied articulation of a variety of Black interiorities. It quite literally is the fold and the cut embellishment and extraction that instigate and map an expanded black ontological treatment of surface. And I literally mean Thomas is deploying um, these collage techniques of embellishment and cut and fold. The fold, like the cut in economic discourse parallels metaphors of the human body, whereby in economic discourse, cuts are used to compare the body politic of individuals that are amputated from the nation state or eliminated as superfluous, excuse me, parts of the economic machine. And so some of these material practices of making have some parallel relationships to how we might think about subjects in relation to the nation state. And so I wanna just turn to the actual work, um, Tet de Femme. And this is an installation view of um, that show in 2014. I think it offers a germinal example of some of the tropes of cut, fold, and extraction. To create these larger than life portraits of her subjects, Thomas looks to early, early 20th century cubism and contemporary pop reference. Comprised of nine works, Tech de Femme reduces these representations to formal and geometric elements by depicting deconstructed facial portraits composed of cutouts and overlays. And this installation shot gives you a little bit of an idea of the scale of the work. Using an assortment of material, a trademark of the process, these face renderings obfuscate and reveal, making visible how the cut and fold mobilize contamination zones. So take, for example, Untitled 2. Untitled 2 is on the left, and Untitled 8 is on the right-hand side of the slide. Untitled 2 presents the figure as an asymmetrical mask where features marked in the foreground blend into the surrounding elements of the background. The left eye stands in contrast to its realistic rendering on the right. A doorway surrounded by a patch of green stands in his sight. Below the eye is a golden glittery patch of texture, followed by a series of triangles that make out the nose or connecting gap between nose and lip. Lip at first, drawn in a pucker spills into the background geometric shape of orange, leading or folding in to the background cane. The color palette vacillates between pastels, pinks, blues, purples, and yellows. In relative contrast, Untitled 8, on the right-hand side, places the mask onto a black and adjacent selection of pink backgrounds. Negative and positive space is more apparent whereby eyes are constructed from the inverse of the other white paper on black, on white, pink on white, on black with gold, the lip defined by a coloring in of a shape 
but also cut out and placed again within the boundary of the curve. The eyebrows that figure at once as a squiggly line and on the other a patterned symmetrical argyle of blues, reds, and whites. Finally, the borders that make the face a face cannot be contained and spill into the background of the papers, only marked by a curve of blue here and a curve of blue there. In a way, there's a way in which Thomas's work um, by a sort of lack of depth of field in this particular context and the abundance of material heterogeneity pushed the viewer out, keeping them on the surface of the work. And so unlike Thomas's more representational work of Black femmes, that de uh, the deconstructed quality of tech, the femme obstructs clear racialized gendered identifications. Color, line, and shape come to bear on the symbolic ordering of meaning within the context of visual culture, and in many ways confront um, the cult of universalization characterized through race and gender, focusing quite literally on the crown of the crown, eight of the nine works remain untitled, unnamed. And so the citational work of the title does little to locate a racial threshold. So in many ways, I think Thomas adheres to some of the strategies of abstraction um, and what we might call um, Greenbergian calls of purity within kind of formalist traditions um, of kind of art criticism. And yet it also helps us think about the crisis of representation and current debates within um, the visual field. And here I'm thinking more of the ways in which questions around racialized art produce, uh, cultural producers um, what becomes sort of legible practices that racialized artists can actually take up um, without sort of the burden of sort of unpacking a whole genealogy of racial logic. Can you be an abstractionist kind of artist and, and, and say something? And so positioning abstractionism as an act of perception, um, the processes and artistic procedures that make visible practices of signification through formal elements of art both adhere to some of these formalized things that I formalized sort of modes of producing that I think Thomas is exploring. And it also makes visible practices of signification. Through, um, uh, excuse me, and, and it makes those sort of claims of formalism susceptible to the whims of the other. When Thomas is asked about the assumed ethnicity of the subjects of these works, Okay, thank you. Sorry about the writing of the papers. When Thomas asks about the assumed ethnicity of the women, she uh, she notes, "quote It could be anyone. Anyone can bring their own notions to these works because it could be them. It's geometric shapes that come together to create a form. In a way, they are black women, but then they're not. And so the process of considering something independently from its associations." attributions or concrete accompaniments make visible the symptom of a kind of racialized imagination. And I think in this way, abstractionism to a certain extent asks us to, to disrupt that consideration. So now I wanna to transition to an engagement of Maholi's work and still linking to these ideas of the surface of the work, engage ideas of hyperpigmentation and saturation around 
similar kinds of questions um, around what the work can actually hold and do. And so here I turn to a shot from an interview um, Maholi did in 2019 for the PBS uh, show called Art 21, which focused on Johannesburg artists. And there's this point in this interview where Maholi is talking about their recent body of work, Somanyama Ninyoma, which translates to all hail the dark lioness in Esazulu. And there's a point in the segment, um, which is kind of depicted in this uh, still image, where the artist talks with their studio assistant as they mark a proofed photograph with pieces of tape. And so there's this gesture of thinking about some of the areas of the print that require attention, whether it's the reduction of stray hairs or the darkening um, burning into the image or lightning dodging an image that uh, an element of the image that is underexposed to, to shift the quality of the final photograph. And I recall this fragment because it reminds me of how of the work that's entailed in post shoot management, specifically around um, analog forms of photographic making. Within the context of printmaking in the dark room, there's this close examination of the print, decision-making on how long to expose the paper to light, the zeroing in on certain areas to, deep, to burn or deepen in exposure. There's this sort of ma mathematics of exposure and light that has to be taken into consideration in order to produce this final, um, this final image. And it's also in relation to um, a timed amount of time that the, the light sensitive piece of paper um, within the context of a silver gelatin print needs to sit in various chemical baths so that the image is um, fixed, fixed onto the paper. And so all these processes are designed um, to engage the amount of light, time, um, in, in a very material kind of way in order to produce that final print. This to me brings into focus the stakes of photography as a medium within the context of Maholi's pra practice and why it becomes a useful mechanism to think through the disruption of surface. Um, and I'm not gonna spend a lot of time sort of unpacking um, the, the deep, deeply tentious sort of historical underpinnings of photography as a colonial object, et cetera. Many people have talked about that and that's very important. But I do wanna think a little bit about the material itself, the light and exposure and tonality as well. So in thinking about um, on the one hand, photography as a medium, I'm also thinking about, get my next slide. My slide froze. So I'm just gonna pop back out. Okay. 
and share one more time. Thanks for bearing with me. Okay, hoping that you can see that next slide. So I wanna think about material and the materiality in relation to photography, but also um, hue and tone. And so here I wanna talk about Vanta Black, which is the world's blackest material. Um, some of you might've encountered this um, in the last, I think five to 10 years where a UK based um, organization called Surrey Nanosystem announced the invention of this material called Vanta Black, the darkest material ever made. Um, and it's been kind of a newsworthy component because artist Anish Kapoor has secured exclusive copyrights of this very, very black material. And so other artists have responded to this um, creating other forms of very black materials. Namely, an artist, Stuart Semple, who has created Black 2.0. And this work is billed as, quote, the world's mattiest, flattest black art material. With just one coat, any object, even really shiny ones, become super black and reflect next to no light, giving this black hole type effect. And so I bring this example up because unlike um, to think about pigmentation and hyper blackness um, in a particular way, because unlike Maholi's um, work that um, Maholi is most known for faces and phases that provides a wider range of blacks, whites and grays, the most recent body of work Somanyama and Nyoma leans towards higher contrasting exposures, especially around the skin and the background. And so we might ask, what is at stake in this urgency or this, this move to push hue and black hue to its, to its extreme? And what does it mean for this to settle on the body? And so I wanna begin to consider this idea of, of excessive blackness as both something that obfuscates, contours, limits, and expands particular articulations of back, Black subjectivity. What does this mean? And so through the materiality of the image, literally the silver gel gelatin prints and the skin surface um, as a kind of ca canvas, I think we can think more about, again, this topographical economy of ideas and inflections. So take, for example, the work on the right-hand side, Tulani to Parktown, where the background of the photograph is blurred, but has uh, registered significant tonal changes throughout. On first blush, the background registers to be more than um, a piece of textured fabric or a wall. And in many ways, it gestures towards a location. These ranges in tonal color from blacks to middle grays, some bright heights, hot, hot spots suggest ambient light. And the foreground features a subject, um, th a three quarter portrait where we can see the upper chest, shoulders, neck and face revealed. 
the lower torso, forearms, and hands are cut off by the border of the pictorial frame. And yet the skin in this context, in addition to appearing hyperpigmented, similar to the, the work on the left-hand side, also gives off a textured sootiness. This could be due to the quality of the light or the way the, the skin does not shine glossily like the image on the left-hand side, the photograph on the left-hand side. And here I'm actually thinking with um, the work of Krista Thompson, who talks a lot about shine and gloss in relation to black skin and practices of performative shine. But I'm also thinking about Tina Camp's work on performative racial identity um, as she maps that through um, um, kind of historical minstrelly performances and more contemporarily engages with some of these artists that are also using hyperpigmentation. So I am very much in conversation with some of those thinkers. But what's interesting about the light in this work on the right hand side is that light is literally used to cast the subject in high contrast where we can see shadow and areas that produce not only high drama, but literally space where skin and background and foreground kind of um, uh, kind of create that sort of black hole. Um, on another level, we can certainly read these images for some of the materials that are present, whether it is the, the goggles and the construction hat. Um, and, and, Moholy talks a lot about the context of using materials, um, everyday kinds of materials like feather, feather dusters, I, th I think in the context of the left hand work or um, clothing pins as a way to kind of gesture to high fashion, but also speak to very particular contexts of, of violence. Um, within the context of the image on the right hand side, some of the conversation has to do with coal mining and its modes of classification within the context of, 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 of South Africa. And so there are multiple levels of materiality that are at play, both in terms of the objects that are used and deployed within these photographs, but the photograph itself is a material. But I wanna kind of wrap up with this part of the discussion by, by returning to this idea of hyperpigmentation that isn't, isn't that occurs in other artworks, not just the work of Maholi. And so we see hyperpigmentation showing up in the work of Kerry James Marshall, with some, which some of you may be familiar with, as well as two South African artists, such as uh, Mary Sabandi's um, large scale sculptural um, body casts um, and Mohal Modisking's um, filmic photographic works where um, the tonal range between blackness and hyper-blackness um, in particular ways are being deployed. And so by way of a conclusion, Maholi and Thomas use a variety of materials, many of which don't overlap, even though the photograph shows up significantly in both of their work. But we can both consider Maholi and Thomas's work within the context of obfuscation um, and withholding. And in some ways, I've used this idea of abstraction. Can we look at work that is more representational as a kind of abstractionist inclination? But I think I am 
actually trying to think more around this idea of obfuscation and withholding. And so is there an argument that can be made around, on the one hand, um, um, Micheline Thomas's use, use of the fold and artifice, glitter and rhinestones as a kind of obfuscation, whereas hyperpigmentation and the use of light and shadow um, and darkness as, a, as an actual strategic way to both engage with um, contexts of violence and, and complicated nuanced sort of historical sort of spaces, but also withhold uh, in a strategic kind of way. So I want to pause there and um, open it up to your questions and concerns. So I'm going to stop sharing the screen and I suspect 